Kim Grinolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and uh, it's been a busy week starting with uh, a lot of interviews with players, coaches, and uh, the head coach, Kalen DeBoer, who we had a chance to talk to on Monday, uh, Then, as well as the two defense, offense and defensive coordinators, and then uh, players, offense and defensive players on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, we had all the other coaches, but uh, game week is almost upon us, and you take a look outside, and you get out on the you know, floor of Husky Stadium, and it still feels like it's July. Mm-hmm. It's still warm out there, and we're not exactly in football weather yet. But you know, the week started off with us. Um, you know, um, also we'll talk about some of the NFL cutdowns. You know, some guys who made the rosters and practice squads and that. But uh, we started off Monday with Coach Kalen DeBoer, and uh, you know, I commented to one of the administrators here. He asked him how it was dealing with Kalen. You know, and I said, you know, it's just dealing with this entire coaching staff. When we ask questions, we get answers. And a lot of the time, we've just been dealing with over the years and coaches, you know, creatively saying nothing at all. But, you know, when we talk to these guys, they actually talk to us. <laughs> well, when I was talking to some coaches on Wednesday, Wednesday they had plenty of creative ways of saying nothing. Yeah. It's game week, Kim. It's, yeah. They're not going to give anything up. I mean, I talked to, uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I was I was talking to the to the offensive, defensive line coaches and talking to Juice Brown and stuff, and, and they're not giving up anything. I mean, they're going to be going up against a really high-powered offense in Kent State, a, an offense that, going back to Monday's press conference, Chuck, uh, Chuck Morrell said that they're going to try to run 100 plays. And that's not something you see every single day here. Now, Chris Peterson was known for running tempo here and there, and Kalen DeBoer said it on Monday that they're going to try to vary their tempo to try to take advantage of certain situations. But with Sean Lewis and Kent State, their MO is to go, go, go. They, they're going to go like the way Steve Sarkeesian wanted to go when he was running tempo here at Washington. It was just go under Keith Price, go, go, go. Well, it's like Steve Entman said, if you remember his quote, he says, you know, up-tempo and, you know, speed offense like that, you know, isn't that hard when it's three and out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, you can do that. Yeah. It's nice work if you can get it. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, Chris, Chuck Morrell kind of addressed it, just said we get a lot of that from our offense um, when we're here, and we don't feel like that's going to catch us off guard. We're we're going to be ready for a hundred plays if that's what they're able to run. But it's you know if they get some stops, they won't have to worry about a hundred plays. I so thought it was, I thought it was really I thought it was real interesting talking to um, both Coach Grubb and Coach DeBoer about you know Coach Grubb being up in the booth and just having that um, just the silence around him and asking Coach DeBoer if he got involved in the offensive play calling and how he addressed that, which I thought was pretty interesting. I think when you when you look up and down, and this is not a new thing. I mean, you can go all the way back even well before guys like Norm Chow. When, when you got guys that were considered savants or considered geniuses, whether it was offense, defense, what have you. And typically it would just be the offensive guys because typically the defensive guys would want to be out there um, on the sideline kind of dictating the action. But when it comes to the offense, um, you know, you look at Pete Kwiatkowski, for instance. He was kind of an outlier. He was the guy that was kind of the genius of the defense, and he kind of wanted to be removed from it. So he didn't have to worry about the, the passion of the game or the emotion of the game. And that's what Grubb talked about for sure. Now, what interests me about what Chuck Morrell said about the other side when it comes to the defensive coaches that are going to be in the booth, there's not going to be any no. defensive co- any like full-time guys that in terms of like the guys that DeBoer hired. They're going to all be GAs or quality control guys. Or now, of course, he said, "Look, these are not guys that we literally just, you know, picked up off just the turnip in. truck yeah. yesterday. These are guys that know football in and out. They've been with us for a long time. They understand what we're trying to do. It's not a problem because we've done it in the past." But I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, and getting back to the offensive side, you know, I thought, you know, with Kalen DeBoer having his offensive background that he would at least be involved in some of the play calling. And he said, you know, no, he just – he trusts, you know, Coach Grubb. He's been doing it a long time. They have the chemistry. And he said, you know, Coach Grubb is thinking two or three plays ahead, and the last thing you need is your head coach interrupting your flow. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing. And, boy, I don't know if many, um, you know, offensive head coaches that would allow that much freedom to their offensive coordinator the only reason i think that's the case is because he isn't a brand new offensive yeah he isn't a brand new head coach he's been a head coach at fresno state for a couple years how many years at sioux falls 
uh, enough to win what sixty nine yeah, six, games? Yeah, sixty nine games. Yeah. Like, plus so a what? Seven eight years, whatever it was. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the guy. It, I think he feels comfortable. Kellen DeBoer has always seemed like somebody who feels comfortable in his own skin and doesn't need to get the accolades or anything like that. He's he knows that he he knows he needs to be the director of the program and not worry just about one side. He you know and and. Um, you know, it's different philosophies. I'm not saying it can't work. Steve Sarkeesian is real big on his op- being the offensive guy, and and defensively he just lets his defensive coordinator run that side of the ball and do his own thing. Kalen Bohr said he's going to be involved with the defense, and and you know, but he also did say that if a fourth down is coming up, I make that call. If you know, on I want to go for it, this is what I'd like to see us do, kind of thing, or. Um, on defense, you know, maybe he'll give a suggestion of something he'd like to see. But for the most part, he's going to let his coordinators do their job. These guys have both been with him for a while. William Inge, Chuck Morrell, Grubb, they've all been with him at different times. So I think he just feels comfortable letting them run things. Well, since it is Kent State Week, and I don't know who had the over and under on this, but I will invoke the name Don James. And when you look at Don James, you look at Chris Peterson, you look at some of the great CEOs, Saban, some of these guys, and I think obviously Washington fans hope Kalen DeBoer is cut from that same cloth. You look at guys who are great coaches of coaches. They're they're true CEOs. They're letting their guys go and operate. And DeBoer even said it. He goes, the the greatest things can happen when the guys around you are given free reign to do what they've been asked to do, what you hired them to do. And, I, you know, like you said, only time will tell to see if Kalen DeBoer is cut from that same cloth. But up to this point, whether it's at Sioux Falls or Fresno State, he has certainly shown that kind of aptitude where you subjugate the ego, you, let, you, you, you put that all to the side, and you do it for the greater good. You do it so that guys can be put in their best positions to succeed so that they can put their guys in the best positions to succeed. Yeah, I just think it's kind of wild. I've never heard of an offensive coordinator, and I'm sure there have been some that just totally isolate themselves with no distractions, and that's what's going on. And Coach DeBoer said, you know, um, when the defense comes on the field, then he'll start talking on the headset. Um, when the offense doesn't have the ball, he'll start talking to Coach Grubb. But I, I've never heard of uh, no defensive coaches and just having GAs up in the booth. I've never no, heard of that. No, I've I never have. heard of that. I hadn't either. Yeah, but I mean, and again, we're used to whether it was Coach K. You know, we, we've we've been used to situations seeing guys like that take the now K. How much he, trust do you have to have in those GAs to do that? Well, obviously a ton. Yeah. I mean, they're they're your eyes in the sky. Are they seeing what you're you want to, them to see? Yeah, but know? but clearly, again, and going back to Monday and what Coach DeBoer talked about when he said, you know, how do you split up the box to the sideline? which coaches are a which wit. He said, we put a game plan together, but I always let the coordinators tell me what they ideally want to see happen, and then we try to make that work. So clearly both Chuck Morrell and William Inge want to be on the sidelines. And they, he also said that the X factor in this too is that this all has to fit in with what they want to try to do with special teams as well. So you have to factor that in too. And with Eric Schmidt being the special teams guy, they've got it they've got to figure out what, you know, whether it's return, cover, all those different types of things. And clearly they put a lot of that on the defensive coach coaches play. Well, and I also think it's interesting, you know, in showing the trust in his coaches and tr- showing the trust in his GAs. Um, it just sure appears, you know, when you take a look at the personalities on this staff, that there's not going to be a lot of turnover because of the success that they've had with Coach DeBoer and the trust he has, and they can actually do these things. But, you know, with these GAs having that much responsibility and that much trust in their coach, um, you know, those guys are probably going to be able to move on to bigger and better things and then maybe at some point, you know, get uh, on to Coach DeBoer's staff, but also makes it a really desirable place to be, you know, as a GA so you can keep the quality of those GAs who are invaluable, you know, coming into Washington. Well, and again, we we saw it with with Peterson and, and... and then with Lake and, and, and seeing some of these other coaches move on to other things, you want to be a desirable position, and you don't necessarily want to see your, your best guys always leave, but at the same time, that's the way that this process works. You start, and you've got to continuously progress through the ladder, and at some point you reach the ceiling at a certain place, and you've got to go somewhere else. The best places are the ones that foster 
that upward movement because the guys below them who are the up-and-comers, who are the guys that have the energy, will, passion, and smarts to to try to, to move up the ladder are the next guys in line, and it's recruiting. It's it's yeah, no it's, different than recruiting players. You're it's, recruiting coaches. It's just it's still hard to wrap my head around having a first-year coach who's moved up into a school like Washington and being that hands-off and coaching his coaches. It's still tough for me to wrap my head around that the egoless personality to allow his coaches to do that well, at this level as a first-year yeah, coach. To go back to what Scott said, Kim, he, this is this is not, this isn't a first-year head coach. This no. is not Jimmy Lake. This is a guy who's done it at multiple levels. Now, has he done it at the Power Five level? No. This is what we will find out. We will find out if his system, if his philosophies, if his way of doing business on gate from week to week, if it will take root and will have success. But he had success at, at the at the FBS level. He's had success at the Mountain West level. It stands to reason that the, the same systems and the same things will work at Washington just like they worked for Chris Peterson when he came from Boise to Washington. So the, the thing that I I noticed, he came walking off the field. We were interviewing the coaches, and I was kind of just standing off while because while, I was done with my interviews. And he came walking off. He goes, hey, how's it going? You know, just walk that. by. But it's game week. Jimmy Lake got super tight, yeah. right? Yeah. Sark maybe didn't get tight, but got intense. Intense. He yeah. didn't want to talk to you. He didn't. He was just like, get out of my way. And Peterson was always kind of aloof to the media. He was always friendly, but he never really engaged us. But his, but his, his can't, his, yeah, his demeanor or his aspect mm -hmm. never changed no. from, let's say, week one of fall camp to week game week one. Yeah. He was always the yeah. same guy. But, but, I mean, Jimmy was fine during, during fall camp, right. and then all of a sudden, bam, that game week, and he was, like, he could have made a diamond out of a coal, out of a block of coal. And I'd, be, I'd even and, go as further to say that even spring ball, he was even, yeah. not looser, but yeah. was even... You know, it was like the start of something. Yeah. So he was like at a starting point. And then the more he yeah. got ratcheted up, the more his kind of demeanor got ratcheted yeah. up to the point where game week and, came and it was like. And when, and Sark and, you know, Tyrone was Tyrone. <laughs> but, but, and you guys remember Rick, cause I didn't, I didn't cover Rick, but it just, DeBoer just, he seems like, hey. He's the same guy all the time. Playing a game. Same guy. I'm excited to be here. Let's do this. Same guy every day. Yeah, I think you just get the sense. And again, invoking yeah. Peterson is, is just. We're going to be doing it all yeah. the time with this guy, but it's it's process, and I think he just understands that as long as they take care of the process and they're getting the results that they need during the game week, the actual product on the field on Saturdays will take care of itself if they've done what they need to do. We had a chance on Tuesday to talk to a lot of the players, including a couple of first-time starters in Roger Rosengarten, Nate Kalepo, um, and as uh, well as we got to talk to somebody We'll talk about this a little bit, too. We actually talked to Eddie Ulufoscio. First time ever we've ever been able to talk to an injured player. We'll come back with our thoughts on that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. I'm Kim Reynolds along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund on Dogman Radio. And again, Tuesday we had a chance to talk to a lot of the players. And let's go ahead and start off with kind of the surprise where, you know, ever since we've been doing this forever, you know, since 1997, um, guys that are injured, guys that aren't playing, they've always been off limits. And I look over and all of a sudden, Eddie Ulafoscio is out there, in, you know, in shorts and, you know, a compression top. And he's talking to the media and I'm going, Okay, I'm in, and I had a chance to go over and talk to Eddie, even though he's not playing. So that's something we've never had before, Chris. No, and it's one of those things where I guess we just have to keep asking and keep asking, and the worst they're going to say is no. But, you know, because the same, the same people are, have been doing this as long as we've been doing this. The policy towards injured players, and especially like freshmen, has never changed. Has never changed. It, they had, if they haven't played, 
you can't talk to them. Right. If they're a freshman, you can't talk to them. And if they're injured, you can't talk to them. And they've made a couple exceptions, like with Jake Browning. But we didn't get Jake Browning as a freshman until about midway through exactly. the season. He had started half the season mm-hmm. before anybody in the media got one, the first chance to talk to him. Not even in spring ball, fall camp, any of that stuff. The media didn't get a chance to talk to Jake Browning until halfway through his first season. But that gives you an idea of the trust that they have in Eddie. That yeah. he can talk and not... Get well, they also he's also a captain. He's so. a captain, and they also know that he's not he's not playing for two two and a half months, two months, yeah. whatever it is. So you know, why not let a guy come out there that's well spoken, that can kind of verbalize a lot of leadership stuff to you and stuff like that. What I found interesting was he said, "My game day routine ain't changing at all. Nope. I'm gonna wake up early. I'm gonna say my prayers." I'm going to listen to my music, get in the mood. He says, I'm too serious, and the guys all make fun of me. But, uh, you know, I it's game day. Let's get locked in. Yeah, he's out there. Just to give you an idea of what he's doing at practice, he's coaching. Mm-hmm. And he's mischievous as hell, too. He's out there keeping it loose. He's all over guys. He's yelling and screaming at guys at one minute and then cracking them up the next. But mm-hmm. uh, he's a little bit like a caged lion and a little bit like an intense coach all at the same yeah. time. Well, you, and I think that's an excellent point, Kim, that the, uh, kind of almost being a, a pseudo-coach out there. In the first segment, we were talking about the splits between which coaches are going to be in the sidelines, which ones are going to be in the booth. And DeBoer even kind of hinted at the fact, he goes, there are certain restrictions in terms of the NCAA, like what what coaches you can have with headphones, headsets, which ones can't, whatnot. Would it surprise anyone if... Eddie Lafoscio ended up in the booth with some binoculars just rolling on what's going on. The it thing was, is, I, it wouldn't. I was actually going to say that when we were talking about possibly yeah. being up there. But the problem is, I think the guy's too intense. I don't know if he, he can needs be to, in it. Yeah, he needs to be on the sidelines with the guys. The yeah, with his guys. energy. You, I don't know if you'd want a guy with that much energy. That would be like putting Coach Shepard in the booth. Yeah. Yeah, you better I, get, I get a ru- You better get I rubber mean, walls. And I get that. I get that. No, I totally understand it. It's a fair point. I guess my feeling on it is is that if we are looking at a guy who could be a potential future coach, mm-hmm. this yeah. is on-the-job training right yeah. here. You're, you won't get a better chance because the bottom line is in a few weeks, hopefully for Washington fans, in a few weeks you're going to see that guy on the field. Yeah. So what better opportunity than now? Because you can always be on the sidelines. You, if he was missing the entire year, he could still, all, he could still be on the sidelines every single week. But being up in the booth – Take looking at the game from that perspective, I think that could be a really interesting challenge for him. One of the guys uh, we got a chance to talk to under different circumstances on Tuesday uh, was Nate Kalepo. Um, you've known Nate for a long time, Scott. Yeah. You knew his mom. Love that lady. And when uh, Nate it, came it up. It gets me choked up. To yeah, when Nate, about it. And I'll give you a chance. I want you yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. But when Nate came up yesterday, this is a different Nate Kalepo than mm-hmm. we've ever seen. Um, he's, uh, I think he said he was down to uh, 310 from 340 because he was a large human. Mm-hmm. But I've talked about Jackson Kirkland, you know, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm 5'8 and 162 pounds. I have a bigger gut than Jackson Kirkland. I now have a bigger gut than Nate Kalepo. Mm-hmm. Would you have ever believed that mm-hmm. if I ever would no, have told you no, that? Uh-uh, no, no, He's trim. Yeah, well, he's, also, he, he's bumped up his squat by like 100 pounds. Yeah. He's just, you know, I got we got to know Kimberly. Uh, that was his mom. Um, and for those who don't know, she passed away, I want to say it was... Since freshman year? Fresh, freshman year. Um, it was freshman year, and she, she had leukemia, and she had got it into remission and it had come back and it hit her pretty hard and apparently it took her life. So, um, and so to see him out there, I, I, I don't want to ask him cause I think it would really get me if I was him in his place, but I want to ask him, what does this mean to you? Your mom wanted you to be a Husky and now you get to start. And he's got, I mean, he took over, uh, I'm pretty sure he took over guardianship of his siblings he had like four siblings, and I think he took over guardianship of them. And just, I mean, it's got to be just, it's got to be unbelievable for him, but also bittersweet because his mom doesn't get to see him play. For sure. But, I was going to say, too, he mentioned, you know, his connection with Danny Shelton. Yeah, and his uh, Alfonso. With Alfonso Tupatal. And I've got to go back and look 
to see, because I may have done a story be- between the connection with them for the Polynesian Bowl. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to have to go back and look. This is jogging my memory slightly. But I thought I did a story on those two and the mm-hmm. connection that they had growing up together. Yeah. And he, you know, he literally talked about it. And, he said and, Danny Shelton was his big brother. Yeah, and basically, you know, he pointed to the, the stands and mentioned Zoe and said, you know, we've been going to games since I was like 10, 11. Mm-hmm. He goes, I knew, I knew I was coming to Washington even before I started getting recruited. But, Scott, what's interesting, too, is we, we have a couple drinks and we'll talk about guys that, you know, possibly might wash out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just conversations we had, you know, the With past the, year or two, yeah. his name would come up amongst us mm-hmm. as guys that we saw weren't going to make it. Something really, oh, or that we didn't think would, yeah, yeah. But something really clicked with him and guys, you know, on the message board that are saying, "Yeah, but this last year, this ain't, this is yeah. not the same kid." Yeah. Well, what people need to remember is, I mean, you really have to, and I know it's hard, but you almost have to treat last year like you treat two thousand eight, and just forget, forget it. Forget it. The the team kind of quit on the on the staff the staff quit on Jimmy you know and, and Jimmy had his eyes set in other places and and all that stuff I, I just think people need to throw all that stuff out the window I know people have PTSD I wanted to ask the question would you be as scared about the Kent State game because there's a lot of fear on our boards about the Kent State game if they hadn't beaten or if they hadn't lost to Montana, uh, Montana last year yeah. because nobody thought that could happen Okay, that was like the wake-up call that Nevada was under um, Gilby, right. and um, Oregon State was under Don James. Right, the, those upsets that yeah. nobody expected, and so people are scared. And I totally get it. Kansas or Kentucky, uh, Kent State has has been uh, a very productive You're team. Scared. Yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. But 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 the, Nate Kalepo is endemic. I think for what this this staff has been able to do with players that maybe we wanted to quit on. Like Sark wanted to quit on Tani Tupo. And he went on to have a really good final two years with wanted us. He wanted to quit on DeAndre Yeah, Campbell. and he wanted to second yeah. team all packed. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think this staff, I, you know, he's got the same position coach. I don't think his position coach was ready to give up on him, but I think Jimmy was. And I think probably John Donovan was. And so for, for, uh, Nate Kalepo to come back and, and really push for, for a starting spot. And I think some of that is because Jackson isn't able to play right now. Um, Cause I think Troy Fautano would probably be the starter at left guard. Yeah. But that being said, Nate Kalepo is your future left guard because I think Fautano after this season, or even for the rest of the season, depending on Jackson Kirkland's availability, I think he's your next left tackle. So or Bulow potentially, but we'll see. On the other side, you know, we had a chance to talk to Roger Rosengarten, and uh, I I think that's kind of a surprise too, supplanting, um, you know, uh, Kern. Victor Kern yeah. and and Mateo Mele. I was going to say, but at, he didn't really at right tackle, which is with a left-handed quarterback, mm-hmm. is like left tackle. Yeah, but I think that's being a little rough on Kern because he got moved inside for spring. It was Mateo Mele and Rosengarten that were battling out a right tackle. And then all of a sudden first we see first day of practice for fall camp, and we're seeing Mele getting reps at center again. Mm. And that's not unheard of because Mele started at Arizona back in 2019. So we know he can play that position, but we just assumed that because of his veteran, you know, his abilities and he's been in the program a while, that he would be the right tackle if it wasn't going to be Victor Kern. Because we also weren't sure about what Henry Benavalu's situation was going to be like. And Henry, I think that's why they moved Kern inside, because they still wanted that veteran guy to be able to play on that side of the line, on that right side. Roger Rosengarten was a really highly regarded recruit. He absolutely was. He he was committed to Oregon when he left there, and Washington took, took him back. And that was a big get for Washington. And, and um you know, he's got a lot of a long way to go to become the player I think we all think he can be. And he and Greb mentioned it on Monday that I had a sit down with him after that first week and was like, You're not where you need to be and you're not getting it done. He, he, the word he used was irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. How many times do you hear a coach talk about yeah. a kid being irresponsible? And I'm thinking, are we talking off the field or on yeah. the field? And he was definitely talking on, on the, the field. field yeah. Because Rogers is salt of the earth kid. I mean, yeah. he, there's nothing. Nothing's going to great yeah. kid. 
But you know, and, he, and but, you know, you even you guys even asked him. I mean, and, and he took it to heart, and yeah. he's like, "I know they want me to be the best player I can be." So there's, mm-hmm. I'm taking all. Let's the just criticism. put it this way: they want him. They, I believe, they truly want him to have the success. But let's be honest: if he isn't having success, then Ryan Grubb ain't having success. That's true. <laughs> no, that's, so, that's flat out. So one word answer: no explaining. Okay, come Sunday morning when they're reviewing the game film, who's going to grade out higher? Rosengarten or Kalepo? Rosengarten. Who's going who's gonna to grade out higher? It's a great question because I... I, I one word really, answer. I, That's no, not a one word really, answer. I haven't really thought about it, honestly, because they're so different. We'll top one's a tackle, one's a guard. They're playing on opposite sides. Give me an answer. Uh, I will say based on... I'm going to say Kalepo just because I think he's... he's See, uh, he doesn't mind very I can't, well. I can't give you a one-word answer on that, <laughs> You just did. I, I think Kalepo will have a very good game. I just think with, this, with the stoutness of the interior for Kent State, I think Kalepo will have more to deal with than Rosengarten will on the edge. I think Rosengarten will be able to handle some of those edges. But I'll, this also isn't going to be Nate's first rodeo. No, This will, will be Roger's first yes. rodeo. Give me, give me your thoughts on Corey. I'm more out on the limb than you are. Uh, absolutely, you are. Give me your uh, ideas. You know, for Scott, just um, what do you think with Corey Luciano at center? I mean, because he's been undersized for a while. Yeah, but uh, the big concern they with him, him was his back. snaps. But well, they had an H back, but yeah. tight end. Yeah, yeah. Extra, but extra block. Yeah, but um, he. His big concern was the snaps. You remember when Jimmy was here, his snaps were all over the place. Yeah, he'd roll them, he'd snap them high, do all this stuff. Well, basically, starting this spring, I can think of maybe one or two that were even just a little off, and they weren't bad snaps. They were just a little not where they need to be. But for the most part, he's been real consistent. When you're when you're playing out of the shotgun and you your snap, even if it's catchable for the quarterback. If it's off a little bit, that throws the timing of the playoff. Kim, that's another position where you start in spring, you see Luciano as kind of the incumbent, kind of makes sense, and then behind him is Garen Hatchett, and you're like, okay, grooming him for the future. He didn't snap in high school, but he's snapping now. That makes sense. We come back for fall, and now all of a sudden, who's behind Luciano? It's Miles Morale. Yeah. Because now Hatchett has been moved to right guard because – it's like the domino effect yeah. because Kern has been moved back outside. Yeah, so and then when the depth chart came out, isn't Hatchet at left guard? Yeah, he's he's the backup left guard. So I think they're basically. I mean, the way I, I've always known this, yeah. all the way from the very beginning when we would talk to the offensive line coaches when I first started doing this stuff. If you're an interior guy, you, you need to understand all three. all three of those positions. So if all of a sudden you get moved, you know, it's, it's the Col- thing with Coleman Shelton. You, you posted that today uh, or on Wednesday, Kim, that, um, you know, it, it's just you have to be that versatile. You have to know. And when you get that versatility, that's going to make you really attractive to guys that are looking at you potentially in the NFL. Because now you're not just a guy that can only really excel on one side because you're, one, you're only right-handed or you're only left-handed. And so, but you're right, Scott. I mean, I thought that was really, really. There was only two things that really stood out to me on the depth chart that were really interesting, and that was one of them. The other one was Taj Davis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this also, just you know, going back to the running back position, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, when we talked to uh, Coach DeBoer, he, I was, you know, I asked him, you know, is starting that big of a deal? Because you're just rotating those guys in, you know. And he said, no, it's not that big of a deal because you know they're all going to play. But so there's not a true number one or a true number two and start wide receiver. Yeah. yeah. But when I asked him about running back, which kind of in, you know, over the years has been the same thing where they're rotating guys in. He was pretty adamant that Wayne Talapapa is cl- the clear yeah. number one. Will Nixon was the clear number two and Cam Davis was the clear number three and all three would expect to play. But he made it a point to make sure that Wayne Talapapa Talapapa is your, your every down back. He just is, and he's going to be your red zone guy. He's going to be the guy inside the two that you're going to hand the ball to and expect him. If there's not anything there, you're going to bowl your way into that end zone because that's what he was at Virginia. Yeah, I was going to say it was interesting because I don't think he started out as an every no. down back mm-hmm. when he was at Virginia. Um, so no, that, he was a he was a sub he was a yeah. substitute package. But guy. for any but for any Washington fan that tried to glean some ideas offensively based on what you saw from the 2021 film of Fresno, whether it was the Oregon game or the UCLA game 
or, or San Jose State or some of these other, you know, Hawaii or whatever, whatever these games were that you may have watched, I think you've got a pretty fair sense that the receivers are going to rotate a lot more than the running backs. Ronnie Rivers was like the Miles Gaskin of Fresno State. He was the Savon Ahmed of Fresno State. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that, that's going to be your 1,000-yard rusher. So I'm not saying Wayne Talapapa is going to rush for 1,000 yards, but it would surprise me if there was an, a, the second running back at Washington, whether it ends up being Will Nixon, Cam Davis, Sam Adams, whoever. Whoever that is, I would be surprised if they get more than 25% of the yeah. carries. Speaking of which, um, I, and this kind of off the subject, but did Ronnie Rivers make the Seahawks roster or no? No. He didn't. He He'll probably be a practice squad guy because they picked yeah. him up late. And, he, so. and he's a really versatile guy. Yeah. And, that, and it also gave you a great sense as the kind of versatility that Lee Marks, the running backs coach, is looking for mm-hmm. in, you know, he, you know, he would talk Marshall Falk is what yeah. he talks about. So that's the, that's the baseline expectation, not in terms of necessarily production or being a future Hall of Famer, those types of things. Everyone wants a, a Marshall Falk, Falk on their team. It goes to the kind of player that he wants, the yeah. versatility. Wednesday we had a chance to uh, talk to the coaches, Coach Shepard, uh, Coach Huff, Coach Brechterfield, Coach Schmidt. Coach Brown? And Brown. And Coach Brown. So we had a chance to talk to a lot of those coaches, so we'll break that down a little bit and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. We're back. I'm Kim Grenolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and uh, coaches. We got the chance to talk to the coaches. Uh, you know, Coach, uh, Coach Shepard, by the just an FYI, Coach Shepard, rocking the purple Oakleys. Did yeah. you notice that? All yeah. I noticed is I was talking to Juice Brown, and the conversation between Jamarcus Shepard and Softy was loud. You could hear it on the East Field, <laughs> and I was literally ten feet away from him. And we, literally, Juice Brown and I, were almost screaming at each other to yeah. try to make heads or tails of what we're even. So, talking if you listen about. to the Juice Brown interview, it's a two for one. Yeah. You can listen to him both. Oh my word! <laughs> yeah, funny. well, I and I was interviewing Eric Schmidt, and Eric Schmidt isn't the most verbose guy. Like, not I shouldn't say verbose. He's very verbose, but he does. He's not. He doesn't project well. Right. So it's like, oh, crud, is this even going to be usable? <laughs> yeah, to talk to uh, Coach Huff and, you know, to ask him about, you know, his new starters, I asked him if he remembered his first start. Mm-hmm. Um, his first start was against UCLA, nothing like, you know, getting thrown into the fire. But uh, UCLA, I asked him if he, um, uh, you know, remembered his first place, and he said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, he goes, I didn't reach my guy, and it was a tackle for loss. And he said, and I blame Coach Cutter for that. Yeah. So <laughs> Dirk Cutter, and he said, you know, Coach Cutter is actually helping out at Boise State. So he blamed it on Coach Cutter. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's got to – you know, coaches are going to say that they feel okay, but, uh, you know, he's got four four new starters well, on the offensive but, but line. Let's be, but let's be real clear. He's got a new lease on life. He's thankful. He's oh. thankful. He, he should be because – you know, the way that offense produced and it starts at the line of scrimmage, that was a rough look for any coach. Mm-hmm. I'm not singling out Scott Huff. I'm talking about any coach that's running that, that stuff. That's not going to play well if you're out there trying to look for a job. I just get the sense that Kalen DeVore understood that there was so much foundational stuff with Scott Huff that made sense. I mean, we talked about uh, in the last segment, Kim, we talked about Nate Kalepo. You had a great conversation with him. Nate Kalepo, you, you, we talked about the idea of when we're, when we're throwing out names and thinking of guys that may uh, end up, you know, transfer portal. It's always on everybody's minds now. You're always thinking about who could end up being the next transfer portal guy, whatever. Well, Nate Kalepo was thinking about maybe making moves, too, on his own. Yeah. He, it's not necessarily writing on the wall stuff, but it's like when Chris Peterson leaves, everybody has to reevaluate what they're doing. And so he said he had conversations with his family, but what were the things that kept him at Washington? The players, his, his, the brotherhood, as he said, and Scott Huff. Yeah. And so, you know, bottom line is whether the product on the field last year, how much he has to blame for that on offense and starting with the line of scrimmage, end of the day is he's got credit in the bank. He has got credit in the bank with these players because they all trust him implicitly. They clearly love him. And so, you know, but he's still got a lot to prove. What would you get from Coach Schmidt? Uh, well, um Actually, uh, Mike Varell from the Seattle Times actually asked a good question that I didn't even think about asking. That was about the special teams and um, the or 
for Kevin Ryan and Jack McAllister and and why that was kind of an or instead of I mean is that the first time we've ever seen an or in there I I don't remember seeing it but I think we could have predicted yeah it's like yeah I know Kim one of Kim's biggest bugaboos when I put out the depth chart don't put out an or don't yeah. put, it's no. our job to give the opinion of who we think is going to be the starter. Yeah, like, but if you say or, it says you don't know. But they don't know, clearly. Well, when they put an or down there, sweet. it's okay for them. Sometimes you know more than them. No, I don't. Yeah. That's you. No, that's no you ors. That's Kim Grinnells. Kate Reynolds at dogman.com. Kim G at dogman.com. Okay, we'll do a poll. Would you rather Chris Fetters, when he does a prediction on the depth chart, give a definitive answer, or would you rather him use an or? Email me at kimg at dogman.com. Okay, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, do you want me to give a definitive prediction, or do you want me to give you what I think is going to happen? And if I was going to give you what I think was going to happen, I could have very easily put an oar at the punter because we talked about it. <laughs> Kevin Ryan's a left-footed guy. Jack McAllister's a right-footed guy. Depending on the hash, depending on whether they want to do a traditional punt, rugby style, whatever they're trying to do, what, what, what part of the field they're on, that could all fl- play I, into which guy so, ends so up So do punting. you think one's a north punter and one's a south punter? No, I think they're, <laughs> I, no, I think they're hash. They could be hash punters. I think one could be... Deeper in your own territory, kind of punter, because I think McCall. My opinion is, if you want my definitive opinion on the punters, Kim, I think Jack McAllister's got a much much stronger leg than Kevin Ryan, at least from what we saw in camp. But he's got a little Corey Durkee in him too. Possibly. I mean, I don't. <laughs> Not I didn't see where that, it's going to go. See that much? <laughs> I don't remember any punts coming to to join us in the stands. <laughs> I don't remember any of that. Um, but go ahead. Well, no, but I was just going to say if if. If maybe they're backed up a little bit, do you use that guy because you just have more leg to get you farther down the field? If you're trying to cough and corner it, do you use the veteran because mm-hmm. that's the guy that has the experience doing it before? Because Kevin Ryan, say what you want about Kevin Ryan, he's got a wealth of experience. Now, it was at Idaho State, but punny punny. Yeah. And it shouldn't be that much well, different whether you're FCS or FBS. And Schmidt basically said, he said, look, those guys can do different things. One guy feels more comfortable just lining up straight and punting it, and I think that's McAllister, whereas uh, Kevin Ryan can roll out a little bit and yeah. do, do some other stuff. And then um, he also just said Jack McAllister has punted well enough to warrant getting reps. Yeah. And and so we're, I'm not saying we're going to use two, but that is a possibility. But Kim, this is also one thing to consider. McAllister is a redshirt freshman. Mm-hmm. This is Kevin Ryan's only season yeah. in Washington. I, I we're, think we're this looking is at prepping. A, for, this is a race quarter yeah. situation. Yeah. If you if you wanted me to really project, mm-hmm. this is this is them looking at what race Porter did last year when they did their film recap. Looking at him, they didn't coach him, but they saw what he could do. Not only was he the punter, but he was also the holder. That guy was that guy had immense value as a special teamer. Mm-hmm. I think Jack McAllister. They're going to try to groom him to be the next. Well, and uh, Kevin Ryan is your holder this year, so correct. But that, yeah. again, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, but he also, and then we asked him about Savelle Smalls. I asked him about how he's come along, and he said Savelle has looked really good these this last week and a half, two weeks. He said these have been some of the best practices he's had. Good arenas factor. I'm yeah. telling you guys, so this agent zero stuff. Well, there's something to it. Yeah, you mentioned Coach Shepard earlier, you know, and like I said, his purple Oakleys were pretty cool. But uh, you know, what Coach Shep had to say. I didn't talk to him. I talked to him. But I could probably have cited some of it based on just what I was hearing (laughs) uh, from like Just to finish up, Schmidt, though, he talked about ZTF and that he's made huge progress. He's right there with Braylon Trice. That's why it's an or on there as well. So, And he said Jeremiah Martin's just a veteran. He just knows what what we need of him, and and he does what we need him to do. Getting over to Shepard, he he was asked about – why what his philosophy on the the guys are and and if they're there and he said i want my guys to be takers i watched he goes jerry rice is the greatest wide receiver that's ever played but he said larry fitzgerald is the one i show these guys film of because he's a guy who went up and attacked the ball and took the ball away from defensive guys and took it out of the air and he says that's what i want from my guys did you notice yesterday roman dunsey that's what they're calling themselves yeah and he said they want to be takers and i said Okay, so you said you want them to be takers, but are they actually takers? Who's taking? Yeah, and he goes, you'll have to see on Saturday. Yeah, well, the top four <laughs> so. guys are going to be O'Dunsey, McMillan, Giles Jackson, 
um, and Taj uh, Davis. What about Jalen Polk? Um, well, those are the four that sound like they're going to mm-hmm. get a majority of the reps. No, right? There's no majority, I don't think. No. Well, That's ma- not what majority. he said. Yeah, I think that, it's, I mean, it sounds like. He said like, they'll rotate them through the exact yeah, same yeah, amount. I'm just saying just okay. kind of Kim what I've heard. Kim G at dogman.com. I'm just hearing. Yeah. Who's going to get more? Who's going to know no, more? Stop Marcus guys. Shepard or Kim Grinnell? Trust me on this. And then I kind of heard. Jalen McMillan, I mean uh, Jalen Polk, and uh, Junior Alexander a little bit below them. Okay, so, so yeah, we'll see. I love it. He's laying it out there. The hot takes. Jabez Tanay still dinged up. Yeah, so. dinged up. We still and, got a couple days to, yeah. to the game day, and we're, we're throwing out the hot takes. Yeah. Um, uh, other coaches you had a chance to talk to? I just talked. I talked to Juice Brown and talked to Anoka Brechterfield. I really wanted to talk to Anoka because I was curious on how this offense at Kent State runs. You know, trying to run 100 plays, how that's going to really direct them right at the line of scrimmage. I mean, because they're right at the at, they're the tip of the spear defensively. And you know, do you do you anticipate that you're going to end up having to run out more guys than maybe you would any other time of the year? And he goes, well, we we plan on trying to run out six guys regardless of whether we're going up against an offense that runs 50 plays or 100 plays. So we're you know we may end up rotating them more actively than before. But like he said, he goes, you game plan for all this stuff, Kim. But once the game starts, all, almost all that stuff <laughs> almost gets thrown out the window immediately because of maybe a guy gets dinged up or maybe because of a wrinkle in their offensive game plan. Now all of a sudden you're using maybe the two-man fronts instead of the three, three-man fronts or vice versa. Everything can change. So he goes, we just got to have make sure that we have six guys that we're ready to go, that we can rotate them in. And I asked him, you know, I didn't mention Jeff Choate by name, but I said, you know, I've heard former Husky defensive line coaches talk about hockey shift style substitutions. And he goes, I, you know, it'd be great to be able to try to do that. But again, you can't plan for it. He goes, we'd love to be able to rotate those guys all the way and always have the same two guys in a group. Like we'd love to have you know, Bandis and, and Tuatelli in a group. We'd love to have uh, Quau and, and Voy in a group and things like that. But you can't legislate for that all the time. Um, so I thought that was really, really interesting. And then, but, you know, I also mentioned kind of the individual guys. He certainly said that Jacob Bandis is going to play a part on Saturday. He thinks he's definitely going to be in the rotation. Um, you know, he, he really likes what Voy can give them because of his athleticism. He can be a disruptor in there. He, he may be at a size disadvantage to some of these offensive linemen, but because of his first step, that can really create havoc with an offense that tries to utilize a lot of different things, um, both gap and zone scheme at the line of scrimmage. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens with the defensive line. Yeah, just touching base real quick, NFL cut down day and some guys getting cut, some guys getting signed back to the practice squad. But uh, uh, Jake Browning uh, with Cincinnati was cut, but he was re-signed to the um, – Practice squad with Cincinnati. Um, practice squad for a second year guy or a third year guy. I think it's fifteen thousand a week. Third year guy. Yeah, fifteen thousand a week. Josiah Bronson got cut by the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Jordan Miller got cut. I think he was with Carolina. Buffalo. Buffalo. Um, Buffalo. Uh, uh, Danny Shelton um, got cut by Kansas City, but rumors that he may get re-signed back. Yeah. Um, who else have we got out there? Pacelli. Pacelli got, got, got waived by Arizona. Seahawks wave Aaron Fuller and Jacob Eason. Um, Tampa Bay wave Benny Potoi. Yeah, J- Jacksonville waved Marvin Hall. Yeah, I think that might be it. That it we saw. Oh, uh, Tristan Vizcaino got cut by New England. New England. Yeah, and we'll, Miles this, Bryant, man. Yeah. That guy just. What'd you yeah. say? What'd and you say Savon and Savon and, and, and Miles both made. Uh, both made it. That, that's and a I surprise. I looked at a couple of their running backs. For, they cut they Sonny cut. Michelle. Yeah, Sonny Michelle got cut, but the Washington guys stayed. That that'll tell you a little bit about you know, and just how Miami, good those guys have played. And Miami drafted a running back early. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll keep you guys up to date on that. Of course, uh, take a look at the message boards. Just uh, any just do anything we need to touch bases on on recruiting, Scott. Um, there will be some guys on the sideline. I don't think it's going to be a big game for the Huskies to bring guys in. But, Michigan State games. The big yeah, game. that's the big game. But I. You know, um, these next two weeks, they're going to have guys, probably mostly local guys and um, 2024, 2025 guys. So that'll be nice to kind of see who's on the sidelines showing interest in the Huskies. But, um, you know, I expect Jacob Lane will be there. I expect Landon Hatchett to be there um, because his brother's going to play. If if anything else, that's a big reason for him to come down. Look, seriously, here's the hot take. Look for Garen Hatchett in the wedge. 
like on, yeah. on the on the yeah. punt cover. He so. him and 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 uh, if um, MJ Ale, yeah, if they're if they're healthy and ready to go, those guys yeah. those guys can be cutting on the uh, so, on the wedge there. Um, as far I'll be out at a game on uh, Thursday night, the Woodenville IAEA game. Um, that's the same high school as Lawrence Lagafuina. Lawrence Lagafuina. So I'll be at that game on Thursday night at Pop Keeney, and then there's a doubleheader down at the. Um, the one that's down in at the Seattle Center, um, and, Memorial? yeah, Memorial, yeah. I kept wanting to say Metro, the Memorial, uh, Memorial, and it's um, O'Day and Bothell, and so I'll get to see Jason Brown and Asendre Afua, yep. and then. Um, and then Does I'll, he just go by Papa now? I think so. Yeah, that's just easier. Okay. So, and then uh, Eastside Catholic and Kennedy Catholic. So, nice. so wrap it up, Chris Fetters. No, I just think it's been great. I mean, the first three days. It's going to be interesting for us because on Wednesday we saw those we saw the players coming off the field and they were just in in you know like light bulbs it was like shells and shorts yeah. and that's something we've never seen before we've always assumed that Tuesday and Wednesday were the biggest days during game week always full pads so you know I'm really curious to see how that works out yeah. um, clearly they must I mean Mondays I don't even know what they're doing so well well. DeBoer said at his press conference that Mondays were off day yeah. for them. So, and my guess is that's just film, yeah. film work and stuff. And but they'll, um, but then on Tuesday, it and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are practice for them. Right. And I'm assuming Tuesday might be a full pads kind of a deal. I would think it'd have to be. And then Wednesday, it looks like it's going to be just light bulbs, basics. Yeah. yeah, not even shells. Because yeah. that's what we saw today, and then tomorrow would be shells and shorts, and then Friday is your walkthrough. Or 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 on Thursday, you know, like today, they would be doing full pads again. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, we'll it was see weird. how it works. I I, I was I like huh. it was very strange yeah. on Wednesday. Not even shoulder pads, huh? Yeah. yeah, and then obviously, and then typically today would be the day that we would be talking to the head coach for the last time. But we only get one time to talk to Kalen DeBoer, and that's on Monday. Us so. telling us telling people that just sent half of our board into complete ap- epileptic shock oh, right sure. there. Right? <laughs> Wrap it up, Scott Eckler. Uh, good week. Uh, good camp. I'm looking forward to Saturday. I just can't wait. Um, I'm going wa- to wake up, watch uh, Hugh Millen's kid. Are you going to make that call at 8.50? Oh, I, to Hugh? I got a guy with a webcam yeah. on Millen, and then um, we're going to put <laughs> – yeah. bad language coming back. We're going to uh, – actually, before the game – we're going to put a needle in uh, Hugh's ass and a John Deere on the other end, and the money's on Hugh Millen. Winning that, yeah. So <laughs> Before that yeah, game. So, it, so uh, Colorado State plays at Michigan. And, I was going to say, you might want to let people know Kale, what you're talking about. Kale, Kale Millen yeah. will get the start yeah, at Michigan. Yeah, he's going to be um, and then, uh, But then 1230 is Oregon and uh, Georgia. Georgia. And then at 430 is Notre Dame, Notre Dame and, Ohio and Ohio State. So, a lot of fun stuff. I think there's I think there's close to a hundred games that are on or something. I mean, something are not a hundred games. I'm saying like seventy games, something like that. Every that day are going to be on. It's always the big weekend. It's, it's I, I love it. I, I I'm so excited for it. And then on on Sunday, LSU Florida State. So yeah. that's that's going to be a fun one. So it's it's fun. Yeah, just keep it tuned in here at dogman.com. Just a couple things coming up um, on uh, Friday. We'll have uh, the podcast for. Uh, I'll talk, I'm going to talk to one of the Kent State beat writers, and we'll give you a scouting report and a preview uh, for the Kent State. We try to keep those around 15, 20 minutes so they're really listenable. Uh, so expect that. To be, to this one doing. is not. Yeah, yeah. This one doing. yeah. so expect that uh, Friday morning. And then just also just for those out of guys out of town and even locally, um, had an interesting meeting last night. Um, I live down by the Seahawks facility. And if you haven't been down to the new Hyatt Regency that's next to Coulon down by Boeing down in Renton, that hotel is spectacular, and it is right on the water. And we're going to be doing some things with them, um, you know, uh, getting some rates, you know, for Husky football fans. There's talk about them possibly getting a boat where you can stay there and, you know, get uh, taken up to Husky Stadium. Uh, you know, possibly us doing some meet and greets if we've got some people staying down there. It's possibly some wine tasting. So some things in the work with the Hyatt Regency down in Renton. And, and let me tell you something, that place is uh, it's right on the water. It's really, really cool. And during the weather, just uh, for those who follow – 
you know, uh, the old one of my old business partners, Dave Samick's in three bands, and they've got a huge deck out there, and they play music on Saturdays and Sundays. And when it's nice out, like it's expected to be this weekend, if you go down there on a Sunday and have a beer outside and on the deck, on the water, listen to music, it's a pretty cool deal. So uh, we'll have more information on that coming up. If you're looking for those regular updates as well as breaking news alerts, shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter, and we will get you on the list. And you look like you were going to say something, Scott. Okay. And I was going to say also look forward to uh, we will have another promotion coming up starting Friday. Um, We've got our predictions on Friday. Yeah, we'll have predictions Friday. We've got so, a podcast Saturday morning. A lot of stuff going on. And just a reminder, you know, we don't say this often enough, okay, um, we have a deal, uh, 24-7 Sports is owned by CBS, okay? And uh, part of the affiliation with CBS is the access for our subscribers to Paramount+. Plus. Now, the yearly subscribers who are paying full freight, so if you pay the 99 bucks the year, you will automatically, immediately after your seven-day trial period, have access to Paramount+. Plus. It's not available on the deals that we do on the promo, so... Sometimes subscribing and paying the full freight and getting access to Paramount Plus is actually a better deal. And also, you can tell your wife, I'm signing you up for Paramount Plus, and Dogman is just kind of a throw-in, so you can do that. So, Six and one-half dozen of the other. But if you signed up previously under a promo and then you renew under the, the regular rate, you will have access to Paramount Plus, and there's a lot of cool stuff on that. So... It's a good deal. So uh, we're going to get done here, and then we're going to walk through. I'm going to walk through Heck Ed and hopefully catch up a, a couple of the basketball basketball guys. And just real quick, um, I spoke to Terrell Brown the last couple of days. Expect him to wind up with Minnesota. Um, uh, great talking to TB, and uh, Will is out there working him out. And I'm telling you, the guy that's working out like an absolute fiend is Noah Williams. Noah is really really grinding out that so uh just looking forward to seeing those guys so for all of us at dogman.com i'm kim grenolds along with chris fetters and scott eckland go dogs